Well, it's, it's always a pleasure to get to come to the traditional service. Uh, Tim, our senior pastor, is preaching in the contemporary service, so I get to hang out with all of you tonight, today. And uh, it's always a joy to be up here, and, and one of the things I love most, uh, as we just witness, is the music. And uh, today, all the songs that we have sung have just pointed us straight towards uh, this time that we get to share together uh, in reading God's Word together and reflecting on what it means for our lives. We're in the last week of a series on Ephesians, and I hope that you all have enjoyed the, the series as we've been going through it. Uh, if you want to catch up on any of it, you can do that through our website. But uh, it's just so exciting to, to get to spend a lot of quality time uh, with just one letter out of the New Testament and to reflect on its implications for our lives. Let's pray as we prepare for today's message. Heavenly Father, we, we seek you and just ask for your presence to be with us as we come to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be among us as we reflect on your word and that you would speak to our hearts. I pray for whatever situations each of us may have walked in here with. Lord, I pray that you would minister to those during this hour. To your name we pray. Well, last weekend, it was a beautiful weekend, just like this weekend, and I had the opportunity to do something I don't get to do often, but I, I do occasionally do, and I really enjoy it whenever I have the chance, and that's to officiate a wedding. Now, when I officiate weddings, I have a little checklist I go through in which I ask the bride and groom a few things before the ceremony, just so we're on the same page about everything. Now, most of that checklist is irrelevant for what we're talking about today. But one thing on there I think is very relevant to what we're talking about today. And that is the question usually asked to the bride, who's more sensitive to these type of things. What do you want me to wear? Because, you know, it, it's important. You don't want your tie to clash with the girls' dresses. You don't want to outdress the groomsmen or the groom. You don't want to be underdressed. And so it's always important to me that I, I kind of look like I belong there. And so I'll, I'll always ask, what do you want me to wear? And I'm flexible. I'll wear a robe. I'll wear a suit. I'll wear a polo. Whatever it is you want me to wear, I'm happy to wear it. And so as I was getting ready for the wedding last weekend, I asked that question. And uh, it was a fairly casual wedding, so I was able to, to go coatless, which was nice. But dressing for the occasion is a very important thing. When I preach in this service, I'm going to dress a little differently than I do when I preach in the Christian Life Center, which is a little bit more casual worship environment. And so dressing for the occasion is something I think that in all aspects of life is something that we look towards and, and need to reflect on. Now, when I was living in Athens, Georgia, this was after I had graduated from the University of Georgia, I stayed in Athens for three years and spent three wonderful years working at the Wesley Foundation there. And while I was there, I, I had a group of wonderful roommates, and, and we lived together. And in our house, the, it was full of laughter and joy all the time. And we had something we called the quote wall. Now, the quote wall was exactly that. It was a wall of our house that was filled with quotes. And so what we would do is whenever someone said something that just sounded a little funny, sounded a little weird, maybe it, it brought to life or kind of summed up an experience that we had together. If, if someone said something that was somewhat memorable, someone would yell, quote wall, and we would grab a three by five note card and we would take a Sharpie and we would write on the note card, 
then we would take it and we would put it on the quote wall of fame. And so every experience that we had, it seemed like, had some sort of quote on this quote wall that would remind us of that experience. Now, one of my favorite ones from the quote wall, and this actually made it onto a t-shirt I made for one of my groomsmen uh, when I got married, is, is the question, how do you dress for Turkish night? And there's a story behind it, and that's why the quote is memorable. It's just kind of a weird question to ask. It's probably something you haven't pondered much in your own life. But what, what it was, was me and my friend James, we were living in Athens, working at a campus ministry on the campus of the University of Georgia. And so we would spend a lot of time walking around the campus. And as we had been walking around, we kept seeing signs advertising Turkish night. And we're like, that sounds interesting. Wonder what Turkish night is. And so we we were like, let's go to Turkish night and find out. And so we, we saw the signs, we saw the dates, saw our calendars were free. We didn't really keep calendars at that point of our lives. Simpler time. And and so we said, let's go to Turkish night. And we're getting ready to go, and it's about half about half an hour before we're supposed to leave. And I walk up to his room and I said, how do you dress for Turkish night? And he looked at me and confessed he didn't know. I didn't know. He didn't know. And so we took our best guess at it, and we both wore kind of plaid, button-down shirts, thinking this is neutral enough. We, we should be able to blend in. Well, we went to Turkish night, almost. We went to the place where Turkish night was taking place, saw the door, looked inside, and quickly realized Despite how we were dressed, we were not fit for Turkish night. This was not a place that, that we were necessarily going to just blend in with. And so we looked at each other and said, do you still want to go to Turkish night? And then both said, no. So we went to Cracker Barrel instead. And it was great. And we blended in perfectly fine with our button-down plaid shirts at Cracker Barrel. But we, we kept that quote on the wall. Because it reminded us of, hey, you remember that time we almost went to Turkish night? There you go. There's the story. <laughs> and so the, the, the point of it is, is that neither of us had ever been to anything called Turkish night before. And so we had no idea how we were supposed to dress. And dressing right for the occasion is important. It, it's important to have the right attire for the setting. So the question we have for this morning is what occasion are we called to dress for? What situation do we find ourselves in? It's not Turkish night. It's something different. And as Paul comes to the conclusion of this book, he gives them a challenge. And that challenge is to dress appropriately for the occasion. And the occasion is this. In verse 12 he says, Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And he's saying that there is a spiritual conflict going on around us. Y'all experience persecution. He didn't say y'all. That's New Southern translation. So you, you all have experienced persecution. 
dealing with things that you can't quite explain. So in light of these circumstances, in light of this situation, here's how you should dress. And so he goes through, and it's the famous armor of God explanation. And he brings it to this point with, with a word that says, finally. Finally. In other words, in light of everything that we've said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. And then there are three things I think that the Scripture calls us to do. And they're in your, your message notes if you want to kind of follow along. The first of these is we are called to stand firm. Verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, when I think of standing firm, one of the examples as we were talking about this passage this past week that came to my mind was something that takes place in football. And that's when the quarterback has the ball. The best quarterbacks are the ones who can stand in the pocket. 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 Heard a few of you. Stand in the pocket. And in the pocket, the pocket is where he's got his protection around him. And the ones who are the best are the ones who can stand there despite all sorts of people trying to get to him, and stand there and still throw the ball downfield to his intended target. It takes composure. It takes standing firm. Now, probably the best person at this of all time was, was Joe Montana. He played back mostly in the 1980s for the San Francisco 49ers. And he was so good at standing in the pocket and keeping his composure that he earned the nickname Joe Cool. Now there's a story about Joe Montana that goes back to the Super Bowl when they played the Cincinnati Bengals, Super Bowl 23. And they were down by three points at the end of the game. There were a few minutes left. And he had to lead his team down the field from the eight-yard line, starting at their own eight-yard line. So 92 yards to go win the Super Bowl. And they all get together in the huddle, and he can tell everybody's kind of tense. People aren't ready to stand firm. They're kind of letting the moment take them over, and it's the Super Bowl. There's all sorts of crazy things going on around them. And so he, he takes a look at them, and he looks up in the stands, and he points. He said, hey, isn't that John Candy up there in the stands? No, seriously, look, look, I think that's John Candy, the actor up there. And they all were like, what's going on here? It's the Super Bowl, and we're talking about an actor who happens to be sitting in the stands. And, and so they all just kind of looked, and they all kind of laughed. And they actually later would say that that was the moment that they figured everything was going to be all right. If our quarterback, who's going to have the most pressure on him, is so confident that he's able to just joke about the fact that John Candy's sitting up in the stands, I think we're going to be okay. Now, when you don't stand firm in the pocket, I saw this yesterday, a couple of times. Uh, when you don't stand firm in the pocket, bad things happen. And so Paul, just like offensive coordinators today, say stand firm. Now the situation that we're standing firm in it is not about football. And it, it, it's not about being in the Super Bowl, but it, it's about standing firm, not in the protection of an offensive line, standing firm, the word says, in the Lord. So in other words, stand firm in the promises of the Lord. Stand firm 
and what the Lord has for you. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like Paul is saying, stand firm in everything that you know that the Lord has done for you. And he's already laid out several things in this letter, and we've reflected on in the past few weeks. The first week of our series, we looked at, at the promise that we are chosen by God. We can stand firm in that promise. But next week, we looked at the fact that we have been saved by grace, and that's a promise we can stand firm in. The next week, we looked at the fact that we are no longer living in darkness, but we are called to be children of the light. That, too, is a promise that we can stand firm in. The week after that, we realized that out of respect for one another, we are called to live in, in relationships with mutual respect in which we live as people of the light. And then last week, we talked about the boundless love of God, that promise of God's love for us that, that's beyond our comprehension. And, and through that, that's a promise that we can stand firm in. And so in, in a lot of ways, this letter is kind of serving as, as a little bit of a quote wall, a little bit of a, a portrait of all the promises that the Lord has made to the people. And so they are called to stand firm in these things. The next thing that he calls us to do, that Paul calls us to do, is to, this is the way I'm phrasing it, suit up. In light of what's going on around you, I'm calling you to suit up. Take up the full armor of God. And he lists them, and in your bulletin we have the different parts of the armor put in bold. But they're, they're listed out, and we're not going to spend that much time looking at each one individually other than to say what they represent. And that is that we are called to, to wear the belt of truth. In other words, our lives should be characterized by living truthfully. We're called to wear the breastplate of righteousness. That we should do just works. That, that our, our emotions, our hearts should be guarded by our righteousness. We should have shoes that are ready. Shoes for our feet that make us ready to spread the gospel. Ready to do God's work. Also, we should have a shield of faith, and our faith should be what protects us from all the chaos that's around us. Also, we should have the helmet of salvation, but our mind should be set on the fact that we are saved. And lastly, we, we are called to take up the sword of the Spirit. Now, it's, it's interesting that that's the only thing mentioned in all of the armor that's an offensive thing. Everything else is something that you wear or something that you hold that's defensive. But the sword of the Spirit is the only offensive thing. And, and in the battle that we find ourselves in, it, it's not our own strength that we fight in, but it's the truth of God's Word. It's the, the, the peace and the truth that we find in reflecting on God's Word. So you might remember that in Lent we reflect on this passage a lot, but when Jesus was out in the desert... And he had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that period, the devil came to tempt him. And as the devil came to tempt him, he started throwing out these lies to him. And Jesus' response was not to fight on his own strength, but instead to quote God's word in response to the lies that the devil was bringing up. But the truth, he used the sword of the spirit, the sword of God's word, in order to accomplish what he was trying to accomplish, which was to set truthfully what was the promises of God. And so we, we were called to take up these things. We were called to, to suit up in these things. And, 
And Paul is sitting there, and it says in, in a little bit later on in this passage that he's an ambassador in chains. And, and we think that he's probably writing this while he's chained to a Roman soldier who's dressed pretty similar to how he's describing this armor. So he's writing and he's looking up. He's writing and he's looking up and he sees that's the armor for one battle, but we're in a completely different one. And we need equipment that comes from the Lord in order to fight the battle that we, are, we find ourselves in. Now, in, in the army, uh, I asked Whit Gaither, who's our church council chair, uh, he served in the army, and I asked him about this the other day, because we weren't sure of the term. In the army, you receive an issue. That's your equipment, your attire, your uniform, everything that you receive. And, and so you'll receive, like, one for basic training, you'll receive one for a deployment, and, and that's your issue. And, and the thing about this, and I have to give Whit credit for this, because I told him what the context of the question was, and he, he had this response. He said, oh yeah, the armor of God, that's our standard issue. And the good thing is, it's the only issue we need. We have everything we need from that one issue. And so, this is what we're called to pick up. This is what we're called to suit up in, is this armor of God. Now, the last thing that Paul emphasizes in this particular passage is something that I think is that we can all relate to. Because we've all found ourselves in difficult situations. And that is that prayer holds the key. That when we find ourselves in difficult situations, when we find ourselves in the midst of spiritual battles, in the midst of a struggle, prayer holds the key. And this is how he closes. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly as I must speak. In other words, he's saying despite the circumstances, despite the spiritual struggle that I find myself in that we find going on around us, despite that, still pray that I'll have boldness. Even though I'm in chains, even though my situation may not be favorable, still pray that I would have boldness to share God's work. Now, I heard a story a few years ago that I think really sums up how prayer can work in our lives when it comes to spiritual battles going on amongst us. There, there was a lady I worked with a few years ago whose mother became very ill. And as her mother became ill, it was, wasn't a good diagnosis. It didn't look like it was going to turn around at all. And so... This lady being an absolute woman of prayer, she, she called together some people and said, we need to pray for my mother. I, I don't know that she's going to make it through this. And so she would call people together and they would pray. And then other people who really cared about this lady would say, hey, let's get together and pray for her mom. And, and all of a sudden there were prayer meetings popping up all over the place, specifically for the purpose of praying for her mom. And it went on for about a year and at the end of, end of that time, she eventually passed away from her illness. And all these people who had spent all this time in prayer for this woman, they didn't even know, they just knew her daughter and knew her daughter was a woman in prayer. They went to this woman and said, we, we spent all this time praying, but God, God didn't seem to respond. Are you okay? Are you mad at God? 
And this, this was her response. And I'll never forget this because I think that there's so much truth and wisdom in this. She said, the Lord didn't heal my mother. And we may never know why the Lord didn't heal my mother. And that's okay. But here's what we do now. Through her illness, people came together all the time to pray for her. And as they would come together to pray for her, they would lift her up in prayer, and then they would start praying for other things. And we started seeing the Lord move in the lives of people that they were praying for. And we started seeing God move in our community in ways that could only be explained by prayer. And as people were coming together to pray for my mother, other things were happening that God was doing. And so this battle of the flesh may have been lost, but there were spiritual battles that were won as people came together and prayed. And, and there's so much truth and wisdom in that. And it, it reminds us that in the midst of struggles that our earthly battles may end in an unfavorable position. But the the truth is, is that God has the ultimate victory. And the truth is, is that God is working out things in the spiritual realm where he is the victor that, that we can't even see sometimes. And so our closing thought is this, and this is something that I came across earlier this week that I think sums up how we view the struggles we face in life as it relates to this passage. And that is our struggle is real. That honestly, there are things going on in the world around us that, that are really happening. There are things that can only be explained as taking place in the spiritual realm. I remember when I was in seminary and we started talking about spiritual warfare one time, there was actually people in seminary who said, are there really people who believe in this stuff? I said, yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's real, it's scriptural. Scriptural, it's biblical, it's there, and it happens all around us. And so that's the first thing. It's, it's real. The second is it's spiritual. It's not a matter of flesh and blood. It's a matter of, of stuff going on behind what we even what we can see. But here's the third thing. And that's it's winnable. And not only is it winnable, I would say that it's been more. That when Christ rose from the grave, the victory was given into his hand. And we, as his children, as his children of the light, can take hold of that. And we can stand firm in that promise. And so as we get ready for the occasions that we find ourselves in, as we look towards the situations that we have to face in this life, we're reminded that we are called to stand firm, to suit up, taking up the whole armor of God, and beyond that, to submit ourselves in prayer, knowing that in the midst of our prayers, God is doing things even that we may not be able to see. And so we stand firm today, and I invite you to stand as we sing our closing hymn, which is standing on the promises of God.